Leon and the worship team. Good morning, church family. Please turn with me to Luke's Gospel, chapter 8, beginning to read at verses 16 through to verses 21. <clears throat> the Gospel according to St. Luke's. Let's read together. No one after lighting a lamp covers it with a jar or put it under a bed, but puts it on a stand so that those who enter may see the light. For nothing is hidden that will not be made manifest, nor is anything secret that will not be known and come to light. Take care then how you listen. For the one who has more will be given from the one who has, who has not. Even what he thinks he has will be taken away. Then his mother and brothers came to him, but they could not reach him because of the crowd. And he was told, your mother and your brothers are standing outside desiring to see you. But he answered them, my mother and my brothers are those who hear the word of God and do it. This is the word of the Lord. Let's commit it to God in prayer. And Jesus said, ask and it will be given to you. Seek, you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. Lord, we thank you for that great promise. And we thank you that you are no more than a prayer from each and every one of us. But this morning we seek to hear your voice as we come around your word. And we ask that the door to eternity will be opened to us. For your name's sake. Amen. So last Sunday, uh, Liz Lynn beautifully set the scene for me this morning. You see, because the two parables, the one that she took us through last Sunday and the one that we have this morning, are not meant to be studied in isolation with one another. Still Jesus speaking in both parables, addressing the same audience and speaking the same subject. And the theme of both parables is the message of Jesus Christ. We are told there in verses 8 of the parable which Lizzie Lynn looked at last Sunday that Jesus called out to the crowd and he said to them, He who has ears, let him hear. And today Jesus is taking that subject of listening and hearing, he's taking it further. However, today he is now demanding our attention, our attention to listen. Those of you who have small children will know the feeling of being demanded when your attention is being demanded. It's almost like they're saying, if you thought what I told you earlier was urgent and important, wait until you hear this one. And so this one is more urgent and more important than the one I told you earlier. So please give me your attention. I don't want to say that's what Jesus is doing here as if I'm I'm liking him to toddlers. 
But that's what Jesus is doing. He is demanding our attention. But today again, Jesus is urging us to act on what we hear. So he's not content that we simply hear, but he wants us to act on what we've heard. And as we begin here, I want to say to us all, when it comes to the teaching of Jesus, we all must listen well. We all must listen well because the teaching of Jesus is not neutral. It doesn't give us a, an opportunity to sit on the fence. It is confrontational. It is direct. It is authoritative. It comes from God himself. So when it comes to the teaching of Jesus, we simply must listen well. But secondly, when it comes to the teaching of Jesus, we must act accordingly because the stake is high. So we have two points from the passage that we have before us. The first one, take care how you listen. The stakes are high. Verses 16 through to verses 18. Secondly, be sure that you act. The stakes are high. So the parable that we have, it's a picture of a lit lamp. And we all know that it will be odd for you to light a lamp and put it under a jug or under a bed. Lit lamps are for lighting, for all people to see. And in this entire section that we've been on for a couple of weeks now, in the Gospel of Luke, Jesus has been teaching about his identity, about who Jesus is. That's what this section is about. And it's also about people's response to the identity of Jesus. He's been teaching through the towns and the cities to vast crowds. And as he does this teaching, he takes time and pause and reflect to the crowds and ask them, what do you make of it? You've heard what I said earlier, what do you make of it? And Luke seems to be guiding how we should respond to the teaching of Jesus about who he is. Secondly, Luke purposely organizes material as if we are in court or we are in a debating hall so that he presents to us how different people respond to the person of Christ. So the section is about who Jesus is and how people have responded to the identity. And if that's the case then, the parable or the picture of this lit lamp, it is a parable about Jesus and his teaching. No one after lighting a lamp covers it with a jar and put it under a bed. But he puts it on a stand so that those who enter may see the light. The parable before this one, which Lizalene took us through, showed us Jesus spreading far and wide his message. He went to every town teaching, and his method was, widening, was widespread broadcasting of his message. So that no one in Israel could say, I did not hear the message of the gospel. 
So it was a public declaration of the truth. And this parable appears to be on the same lines with the parable of the sower. The parable of the sower speaks of the public declaration. But this parable speaks of the public truth put on a stand for everyone to see. So Jesus' teaching is a public truth for all people to see. And it is meant to be put on a stand, not under a jar or under a bed, but rather on a stand so that everyone may see and hear the truth of Jesus. If you're here this morning, you are a bearer of the truth of Jesus because you have embraced Jesus as Lord. That's the responsibility you have to make sure that the truth of Jesus is heard and seen in your life. It is not meant to be hidden, but rather to be put on a stand. And verses 17 explains that to us. For nothing is hidden that will not be made manifest, nor is anything secret that will not be known and come to light. As public truth, which is truth made and open to all people to see, it operates like that. It, is, it shows the lies and open them and bring them to the, to, to, the, to the space for all people to see when this truth is displayed and be put on the, on the stand. When facts are spoken, the wrong is dispersed. And therefore, the truth or the message of Jesus is a public truth for all to hear. It is revealing. In fact, it reveals the things that are happening around us. But it not only reveals the things that are happening around us, it is revealing as well. As it is spoken to us, it exposes who we truly are. So when the truth of Jesus is placed where it's supposed to be, the lies are clear to be seen. Now, how are we supposed to respond to the message of Jesus? What is this passage this morning calling us to? Well, this is a call to consider Jesus. Look in this passage wants to remind us that there is a king, and that is King Jesus. And how are we going to respond to this King Jesus? You see, because up until this point, the people have not responded appropriately to Jesus. On the one hand, you have the religious establishment in the form of the Pharisees who refused to embrace the truth of Jesus, who refused to come and submit themselves to Jesus as God's king. In fact, they are critical of Jesus. They even, they even doubt if he is the Messiah. If you remember during the time when Arno preached of the woman who washed Jesus' feet, they looked at him and shook their head. 
they refuse to repent. They are unwilling to repent of their sin because of self-righteousness. And then on the other hand, you have the crowd. The crowd does not come to Jesus wholeheartedly. They do what we call selective listening and selective obedience. They pick and choose the things they like in Jesus. They're not coming to him wholeheartedly. So the question for you and I this morning is, how then are we going to respond to Jesus? Are we going to be like the religious establishment? We're characterized by self-righteousness. We're unwilling to submit themselves to King Jesus. Or are we going to be like the crowds who pick and choose and discard the parts they don't like in Jesus' life? And the parable of the sower is, is a demonstration or an illustration of how these crowds were picking and choosing in Jesus' life. They were not willing to come to him wholeheartedly. Jesus illustrates that when we come and respond to him appropriately, he illustrates that beautifully as we come to the end of our passage. Because we're told that his mother and brothers also came along to join, to see him. But they could not reach him because of the crowd. And someone, one of the disciples, I assume, went to Jesus and said, your mom is desiring to see you. And Jesus said, my mother and my brothers are those who hear the word of God and do it. This is one of those startling statements that Jesus often makes that leaves you wondering what is he supposed to mean by this statement. Well, this is a remarkable reality. And Jesus says this remarkable reality, if you respond to him appropriately, will be yours. You and I can be closer to Jesus than his blood relative if we respond to him appropriate. That's what that statement means. My mother and my brothers are those who hear the word of God and do it. My mother and my brothers is you if you hear the word of God and respond to it. You will be closer to Jesus than his blood relative. It is a remarkable reality. So there is a king, King Jesus. How are you going to respond to him? But there's something else here that Luke wants us to walk away with. Not only there is a king, but there is an end, a judgment day. That's what Luke wants us to walk away. This day, it's when this king will come back, not now as a savior, but as a judge. And verse 17 tells us that on that day when this king comes as a judge, nothing is hidden that will not be revealed. And nothing is secret that will not be made known. We know that verse is part of the entire New Testament theme that on the last day, everything that was hidden will be exposed. There is a king, that's King Jesus. How are you going to respond to him? There is a judgment day. Now, 
Our culture is not friendly to that word, judge or judgment. It's one of those words that makes us to block our ears. In fact, once you sense that there is judgmental attitude, you distance yourself to that person or you shield yourself because you know that nothing is good enough you will ever do. Therefore, you don't want to be, to be in a space with that person. That's what our culture does when it comes to that word. Our culture is anti-authority. So speaking of judgment suggests that there is somebody else who may have authority over me. I'm not comfortable with that. That's what our culture says. We don't like the, the term that says there is consequences for every action. We, 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 we like it when it's them, but not us. When it's the other people, but when it's me, you see, it's me, be gracious, okay? And, and come on, let it make as if you haven't seen it. Because it's me, but when it's them, then they must get the punishment they deserve. We are a feel kind of culture. That's how I feel, therefore it is right. So why am I going to be judged? Because of I followed the way I felt. But you see, there's something beautiful about understanding the biblical or the broader biblical understanding of judgment. In fact, before I get there, let me tell you my personal story as a child. We were sitting around the fire in the villages and we happened to talk about God and, and the need to have a relationship with God. And, uh, and as children, we were kind of questioning this because it's like, why? Who is God? Where is He? And all that. And then one of my elder, older cousins brought the subject of judgment day. Kind of like, if you fail to have a relationship with God now in this side of eternity, then you will be charged. You will be thrown in this unquenchable fire. And this subject went on and on. This older cousin of ours painting the picture of how that place looked like. And I remember bursting out in tears, pleading with God, please not to put me in that place, nor any of my family members. Please, Lord. Was I responding to the gospel? No, I was not. I was afraid of this distant God who's not interested in me, who just wants me to, to submit myself in him, even though I don't know him. And if, if I don't do that, then I will be thrown in the fire. That's an unbiblical view of Judgment Day. God is not bullying you to follow him. He's not imposing himself in you. The God of the Bible is a relational God. He wants us to come to him lovingly. But for you who find yourself struggling with this, I want to say to you, Judgment Day speaks of the fact that this world in which we live belongs to God. You and I are stewards of it, and we are not doing a good job of it. This world belongs to God, and as it is now, it is not as God intended. You want something that is concise and clear, full of biblical exposition of the judgment day, you must read Liesl Enns, 
devotion that she did during the lockdown. You can ask her, she's there at the back. But for you who are a Christ follower, if you find yourself struggling with an idea of Judgment Day, two things that you must take in mind. That Judgment Day helps us to live our everyday wisely. It helps us to live our everyday life wisely. Am I always wise? No. There are days I live casually and recklessly as if I'm not a Christ follower. I fail every day. But to live our lives in light of that day, not in fear, but in joy. And that's what you will get in Lizalene's devotional. To live our lives in light of that day helps us to live in pursuit of godliness. In pursuit of godliness. This is what C.S. Lewis once said about living in that way. If you read history, you will find that the Christians who did most for the present world were just those who thought most of the next. That's what will happen if you read history. It is since Christians have largely ceased to think of the other world that they have become so ineffective in this one. If we live our lives every day in light of that day, C.S. Lewis says here, we will be more effective in this world in our every day. We're not living for this world, but we're living for that world. As a result, we are effective in this one. I want to be part of God's people. So there is a king. There is a judgment day. And there is a possibility of salvation. You can have a relationship with God. The truth is here. Those are the three takeaways of this passage. The King Jesus. Is Jesus to you a king? Jesus, in, in Luke's gospel, said, Why do you call me Lord, Lord, but you do not do what I tell you? The marks of our submission to Jesus is the fruit of his life in us. It's us doing what he tells us. It is against this background that Luke tells us, or Jesus tells us, to take care how we listen, almost demanding our attention. I'm sure as you listen, you, you can understand why he demands. There is urgency, the stakes are high, there is more to lose if you found not obeying, not listening, or acting like the crowd, as we will see in a moment again. Verses 18, take care then how you listen. For the one who has more, sorry, who has more will be given. And from one, from the one who has not, even what he thinks he has will be taken away. The stakes are high. Take care how you listen. If you listen, Jesus says here, more will be given to you. And if you don't listen to the word, even what you thought you have will be taken away from you. There is no better place to illustrate this than the parable of the sower. 
Because in the parable of the sower, Jesus speaks of inattentive listeners. And what happened? Satan comes and he snatches the seed from them. And in our case, Jesus there is speaking about those who listen with their fingers on, in their ears. South Africans are very good at that kind of listening. You must look at the big conversations, the way we treat one another. We're listening, but with our fingers in our ears. These are the people who refuse the word of Jesus to pierce their heart and their lives. Jesus says to them, take care how you listen because you will be exposed and everyone will know the true person behind. That which you had will be taken away. Others were ruthless and enthusiastic listeners. They were so enthusiastic for four months, six months, they were coming every Sunday, listening and listening, but they never have roots going down. And what happened? When difficult times come, they faded away and died. And others were preoccupied in their listening with the cares and the concerns of this world. My health plan, even more so in the COVID. Paying children's school fees, I relate with that one. The desires of pleasure, my next holiday, my next cruise and retirement, my pension fund. As a result, the seed that could bear more fruit was tangled in this, in these cares, and they could not produce. Take care how you listen. How do we apply that to our everyday life? That's where we are as we conclude. Let's remember that listening is one of very important part of Christian discipleship. If you are a Christ follower, listening is one of the very important parts of your discipleship, of your journey with Jesus. John Stott once said, involuntary deafness is a great handicap. But deliberate deafness is a great sin and great folly. In other words, there are those of us who deliberately choose to be deaf and not listen. Why is listening is a very important part of Christian discipleship? Because at the heart of it is this idea that the God of the Bible is a speaking God. And because God has spoken, we must listen. The God of the Bible is different from the idols. They have ears, they have mouths, but they can't hear and they can't speak. But the God of the Bible doesn't have mouth because he's spirit. And yet he speaks. He reveals himself. In fact, no one can worship God without God revealing himself to them. No one can come to Jesus in repentance of their sin unless Jesus or God is revealed himself in the person of Jesus in, the, in those people. So the God of the Bible is, is a speaking God. 
And because God has spoken, you and I must listen. I wonder if you realize, actually, how constant it is, this theme of listening in the Scriptures. It is one of the major biblical themes. It comes in the law. Moses said, love the Lord your God and listen to his voice. That's Deuteronomy 30. It comes in the wisdom literature, Psalm 95, verses 7. Today God says, oh, that you would listen to my voice and not harden your heart against me. It comes in the prophets, prophet Jeremiah. If you would not listen to me, then I will not listen to you. That one is scary. If you were to go to the Israelites' tomb and read what was written in their tomb, it would be something like this. For generations to generation, God has spoken to them, but they refused to listen. God sent his prophets, they rejected them. God sent his son, they killed him. They refused to listen. I wonder if there is anyone this morning who is conscious of spiritual, spiritual, what's the word? Who find himself not growing spiritually. I wonder if there is a person who feels like that this morning. And my question to you, have you stopped listening? Have you stopped coming before the Lord in prayer with, your, with the scriptures open to him and crying to him that you will hear his voice as you read his word. Because that's what we do when we come to the word of God. We want to hear his voice. These are words written, but they're full of life. And as we read them, even though we think we've read them many times, somehow God in his grace and in his providence, he gives us something fresh for the day. Have you stopped listening to come before the Lord on your knees with scriptures open and asking him to hear his voice? Or your Bible reading has become dull and dead. It's just a routine and there's nothing expected from it. It's a tick box spirituality. No, we can't be like that. We must be like Mary, who day after day sat on Jesus' feet, listening. We must come to God like Samuel, who said, Speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. So this morning, if you're sensing that you are stagnant spiritually, I want to ask you, have you stopped listening? Or is your Bible reading became routine and dull, and dull? And then Jesus ends this passage by those words I've already referred to. My mother and my brothers are those who hear and do the word of God. It's a note of belonging. I've already expounded it. It's a note that sets you and I apart from the world. I'm going to invite the worship team to come and join me. 
Because those words lead us straight to this table. This table is about, is, I've always referred, in fact, to the Lord's table as the family meal. That's what it is. Because Jesus invited those close disciples to sit with him in that private room that night. And he broke the bread and he poured the cup with them. Have you embraced King Jesus? Because this meal is for those who belong to him. And as we partake on it, afresh we are reminded of this active and alive relationship we have with Jesus. That's what happens. We were talking in our house of the need to listen, not only with our eyes to our children, but to listen attentively because the content of the conversation is now developing. And at times we can find ourselves where we are passive in our relationship with Jesus. But this table is meant to inject new life in how we view our relationship with Jesus. So as we come around it, as we take the elements that you have in front of you, let's remember this table is for those who belong to Christ and it's for those who acknowledge him as their king. They know that he is coming because he said, do this until I come. And he comes, he will come as a judge when he comes.